I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What happens when two point-like particles, each with neither shape nor size, scatter off one another when they're both traveling extremely quickly? at near the speed of light. This simple question turns out to be fascinating for theoretical physicists, and studies of these scattering processes have taken them to unexpected and exotic places, both in physics and mathematics. My name is Graham Farmelow, and I'm the author of The Universe Speaks in Numbers, about the interplay between the ideas of mathematics and the search for the most fundamental laws of nature. One chapter of the book focuses on these scattering amplitudes, and one of the theoreticians in that story is my guest today, Ruth Brito, based at Trinity College, Dublin. I caught up with her last summer at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, where she did some of her most famous work on these amplitudes. In the interview, I asked her what drew her to the subject and about the contribution that she and her colleagues made a few years ago that made her famous in the subject. I began by asking Brito what it was about scattering amplitudes that first got her interested. They describe the nature of particle scattering, which is how particles are created and how we understand what particles are, and as well because they turn out to be simpler than you'd expect once you start to look at how to compute them. Okay. This is really the magic, and this is what drew me in and many other people as well, that... You start with a fairly basic intuitive definition of how particles scatter, then you right. find that the equations quickly become very complicated. Mm-hmm. So you work out a few examples, maybe for in, in an advanced class, and then normally you stop unless you are actually involved in the discovery experiments going on. So there are really two things that one finds amazing when one enters a field. The first is that there are many fewer known results than you'd expect, because you think you know, the formalism is there. You think, I mean, as physicists do, that you know once you have the basic rules, that it's just a question of turning the crank, or maybe mm. perhaps being a bit clever about programming. Mm. So it's very surprising to discover, and was to us, uh, sort of where the the limits of knowledge were. Mm. They were surprisingly small. And then, of course, the second counterpart to that is that when you do go through and find an answer, it can be. And these are some of the discoveries that there is a way of writing it that exposes even more simplicity that you would have had in the original equations. How, I wondered, did Brito get into the subject? 
I was working on string theory, holographic uh -huh. models, black holes. Uh, and what made you go to scattering amplitudes? When I first started looking at scattering amplitudes, it uh, was sort of coming on the heels of a, a famous paper by Edward Witten, mm -hmm. uh, which was relating scattering amplitudes to a certain kind of string theory, string theory involving twister space. Could we just slow down for a second there, because uh, this is not the, the regular string theory that people were from the 1980s when they we were trying to set out a generalization of field theory at that time. You're talking about a, a particular type that Edward uh, discovered. Well, by the time I started working on string theory at all, there were... There was a so-called web of dualities of string theories and something called M-theory, which was beyond string theory. So it, it felt relatively natural you know, to add one more type of string theory or something else oh, in the right. mix that was also linked by dualities or yeah. a certain limit. So string theory by then was already maybe much broader than, than its original frame from decades earlier. And that also is what we mean when we talk about string theory today. It's not necessarily just trying to reproduce a strong interaction, but yeah. looking for... Sort of the whole—I don't know if they still call it a web—not really anymore. But this whole space of possible theories involving gravity, of course, that's a theme, mm -hmm. which then in turn are related to our observed universe, but well, you know, hypothetical other universes wow. and. Mm -hmm. yes. But your subject for me sounds a bit more grounded, if I may say, because you were talking there about how you were motivated by, uh, uh, partly motivated by need for help experimenters. But, um... So I was just uh, explaining why I, as a string theorist, how I encountered amplitudes. Uh, okay. So right. it was through this paper which linked a type of string theory, so I was aware of this paper as a string theorist. And through this paper, many people who had been working on string theory started to learn a little bit more about what had been known in amplitudes, and coming from the outside, I knew absolutely nothing, and so did many other string theorists, and so we were surprised to discover that there were already examples of a, a very, very simple formula, surprisingly simple formulas that were there, and as part of the novelty that was introduced by Edward Witten's paper is that these simple formulas had had very interesting new interpretations when when viewed in this twister space, which just means a change of variables. Ah, right. So that's why you just change variables, and you can imagine many ways to change variables, but this is a way with a, a bit of a different physical interpretation and just, just shows you some new geometric properties of the functions called scattering amplitudes. Back in the early 2000s, when scattering amplitudes suddenly became popular, it came as a bit of a shock to me, though many of my experimenter friends working at the Large Hadron Collider were pleased to see the theoretician's progress. Was Brito surprised by these advances? It really feels like all of this could have been done much earlier. So, of course, one reason that it is happening now is that now is the time when we need to do more of these calculations for, right. for LHC physics. Right, large hadron collider. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. particles discovering there. So, mm -hmm. I mean, for the earlier generations of experiments, it was, I guess it was enough. There yeah. discoveries, okay, and, and there were more particles to be, <laughs> that were there just waiting to be discovered. Mm -hmm. That. Uh, why is that, though? Why, why, why is it we need to know those things now? Now, because there's a tremendous background and because we're a bit less certain of what we're searching for. And because we're interested in doing highly precise calculations, in an environment in the collider which is very messy. 
Can we just just dwell a second on that that background here, because it may not be obvious to everybody uh, what what we mean there, but the Large Hadron Collider is the the highest ever particle uh, energy particle accelerator, and they they generate this slew of particles all the time, and there's a tremendous mess from which uh, experimenters are trying to work out very fine details about Mm -hmm. things. Could you just uh, just outline what you mean by background there, um, and what, what the challenge is? Yes, it's a question of statistics, so even if a new particle is created it will also decay very quickly. It will disappear. You do not measure, you don't observe that particle directly, you observe its decay products. And the pattern of the decay products could be, I mean, when you see just for one event, you wouldn't know from that one event necessarily if it was from a new particle or from something very similar that's already in the standard model. To understand the difference, you have to understand exactly the statistics of how many of these events are predicted within the standard model. So then you see if there's some excess above that which would indicate that there's a new scattering channel. One of the things that caught the attention of theoreticians was the central role in scattering amplitudes of twisters, the mathematical objects discovered in the 1960s by Roger Penrose. Most theorists knew little or nothing about these objects, but here they appeared centre stage in a new approach to understanding how fundamental particles scatter off one another. Were twisters new to Brito? No, I've no. heard of them. Ah, right, yeah. I think that was a case of many people in uh, in your field, mm-hmm. as, as I gather, uh, because they, they they came out of the mind of Roger Penrose in the 60s, and Roger had a kind of school of uh, of them, but they were quite foreign, I think, to most particle physicists. And there's something very closely related called spinners. So you can change variables a little bit, and you mm. get spinners. You can change variables from spinners and get twisters. Introducing the twister variables was very new at that time right. in 2003. But the spinner variables mm. had been used by people working in particle physics since the 90s, but that was also something that I didn't know anything about. And the spinners were enough to write down some examples of remarkably beautiful expressions for amplitudes. But twisters are not something that experimenters talk about. So, But you see, so you were looking here at very much at the theory of these. Well, That's you were, right. You it's the variables thinking. in which you write the functions. Yeah. The experimenters yeah. need to know numbers. Yeah. So, so you're looking at the... You know, you've used the word beautiful quite often. I mean, you're, you're particularly looking at the mathematical objects that constitute those uh, scattering amplitudes and how, you know, how to understand them better. Is that right? That's right. Mm. And by beautiful, I'm coming back to this idea that we learn the rules as students... Um, they're even called Feynman rules. There are Feynman rules for drawing pictures of mm. particle scattering, and then there are these rules for converting them into, into mathematical formulas. Mm. What did it feel like to her to be opening up new avenues of research on these amplitudes? For me and the people I started collaborating with then, we were, we were all in this together. We were all very new to the topic. Mm. We were novices. We were realizing that we didn't know how scattering amplitudes were computed. So we were learning a little bit about that, but we were also seeing that we had a really fresh new way to approach the problem. Mm-hmm. So this was this was a lot of fun. We really saw that we could sort of come from a totally different direction and start start arriving at uh, some of the same results and even start surpassing what had previously been known. You should just just get, uh, I should have asked this earlier, but roughly what are we when are we talking about here and who who were the people you were working 2004, with? Two thousand four. Oh, two thousand four. Right. So, so. Okay. That must be actually say an exciting time. Who, who were you working with at that time? Do you, do you recall? I was a postdoc at the Institute for Advanced Study mm-hmm. in Princeton, mm-hmm. and that was where Edward Witten was also working. Yeah. Where he'd written his paper, and I was working with some other postdocs uh. who were here at the time: Freddie Cachazo and Bo Feng. And you all moved into that field. Uh, sounds to be quite quick, quite swiftly. Yes. At the same time, yeah. 
And how long were you working together on that, that subject? One year. Oh, right. Um, well, not happened because it was, it's yeah, become very until, well known in the field. Until yeah. the following year, we all scattered. Uh, oh. and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I did continue to collaborate with Bofeng yeah. for some years after that. What has Brito been working on since those early days? So there's been a lot to do, mm. and my aim has been the same as from the start, just to see how, how we should compute scattering amplitudes, how to compute them better, how to compute them better by understanding their mathematics better. And when you do that, I mean, uh, you, you were trained in mathematics, but you're yes. mainly a physicist, that's right, yeah. My undergraduate degree was in mathematics. Ah, right. Do you ever give any thought to how the, the utility of that mathematics in, in physics, you know, or is it something that is just a fact of life and you just, uh, you, you, just, you just get on with it, so to speak? Because you're using all this fancy mathematics. <laughs> it's a and... fact of life, yes. No, I couldn't do, I couldn't do anything without mathematics. Mm-hmm. But part of the fun is learning about more and more about the actual physics, the complicated physics of quantum chromodynamics and related fields. And another big part of the fun is also discovering the new mathematics that goes along as we get deeper into, yeah. into these discoveries. Have you ever worked with mathematicians? No. Not. Uh, so are you, if you like, uh, uh, taking stuff that they've developed or you're doing it yourself or, or what's what's the... Uh... I could almost say it's only in the, about in the last year or two that I've actually started reading proper mathematics papers for my own research. That must be, I imagine, quite tough from, because mathematicians are not famous for making their work accessible to, to anybody outside their community. Uh, or, or, or maybe that's not your experience, I don't know. But they're very precise. I try yeah. to find what I need and... It, it's also interesting that as, I, as I'm learning new topics in mathematics for my research, that I come across these papers that are written relatively recently. I mean, the kinds of mathematics, a lot of the, most of the mathematics we use in physics is very, very old, mm. at least you know, 100 years old or more. But now and then, and lately in the type of work I'm doing now, there's a lot coming in that's, that's quite recent. Maybe so that's, ten, that's interesting. You've been well. 10, 20, 30 years, or what would you say? Yes. So really? Even five years. Finally, I asked Brito if she could ever imagine collaborating closely with experimenters. Probably not really. At this point, to, yes, to even have the, a very productive exchange with experimenters, you have to be able to deliver the numbers and even if I write down functions, delivering the numbers means writing excellent computer code. Having a code that's ready to handle large numbers, to program the formulas in the most intelligent way. And I don't think this is where my strengths are. So Ruth doesn't seem especially keen on working with experimenters. She seems to be the type of thinker who's most comfortable developing theories, especially their mathematical content, without getting involved in the nitty-gritty details of experiments. In my experience, many leading theorists share that view. In my book, The Universe Speaks in Numbers, I think I may have played down the role of theorists who prefer to work closely with experimenters and focus attention on what experimental data are actually telling us. These so-called phenomenologists have played an important part in advancing our understanding of nature, for example, in pinning down the very existence of quarks and gluons. Even today, many theorists who work on subatomic particles regard themselves as phenomenologists. Regardless of whether to take an experiment-driven approach or a more mathematical line, theorists ultimately aim to discover the patterns that underlie the workings of the universe, 
by listening closely to the clues it whispers to us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.